1: a treasure worth guarding. And learning how to guard that treasure and what it all looks like is the subject of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner. Join us. As believers in Christ, you and I have been tasked with the solemn duty to guard the treasure. What that treasure is and how we guard it is the subject of our time today and tomorrow as we continue winding down our final look at First Timothy. We're in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, as well as chapter 6, verses 20 through 21. Join us from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner as we continue... Our look at 1 Timothy on Abounding Grace.
2: I'm sure you have heard about garage sales where it said one man's garbage is another man's treasure, right? Well, you can apply that to this. One man's essentials is another man's non-essentials. So the non-essentials get more and more and more attention, and the essentials get less and less and less. It is a high-handed, arbitrary way of dealing with scripture all scripture it says in second timothy is god breathed and all scripture is profitable in other words there's nothing nothing in the 66 books of the bible that is not essential for something god didn't talk just to hear himself talk Everything in the Bible is essential to something, beloved. You may not need every doctrine in the Bible to go to heaven, but you better not deal high-handedly with it. You better bow before that authority and seek to bring your every thought into captivity to Christ and say, Lord, I want to believe everything in your book. You said everything, and it is profitable for me. Some things are essential for this, And some things are essential for that. But nothing is non-essential. It says, beloved, it is all profitable. And to the extent that you don't understand or believe or accept or know about a particular doctrine in Scripture, to that extent, you will be deficient as a Christian. To the extent that you don't understand the main point of each book in the Bible, to that extent... You will be deficient as a Christian. Do you know what Jesus' favorite book in the Bible was? It was Deuteronomy. He quotes more from the book of Deuteronomy than any other book in the Old Testament. So I ask you, what do you know about Jesus' favorite book? You see, to the extent we are ignorant of any of the profitable doctrines of Holy Scripture, which is everything, we will be inadequate as Christians. Our worldview, our way of looking at life, our way of behaving, our way of understanding God involves seeking to understand everything in the Bible we can possibly understand and defending it all. Not separating into essentials and then leaving so-called non-essentials for those who go to seminary. That is not only a high-handed way of dealing with the Bible. But it also keeps the Bible from accomplishing its purpose in your life. Now, what is the purpose of revealed truth? Is it to make everyone one? To make everyone happy in life? To make everyone happy with each other in one big, united Presbyterian church? No, no, no. The purpose of doctrine according to Scripture, listen carefully, is to polarize. So the less doctrines we believe, the more doctrines we pay little attention to, there will be more peace and less feuding and fighting. But the truth will not accomplish the purpose it was meant to accomplish, and that is to polarize. There's a verse from Paul in 1 Corinthians that says the gospel is a savor, the smell, aroma, the taste of life unto life to some, and the savor of death unto death for others. So the purpose of truth is to polarize, to separate people. So when the gospel, the word of God is preached, those who are God's people will love it and bow before it. And those who are not God's people will turn away from it and will be hardened in their hearts. The same gospel that some people love, other people hate And God meant it to be that way. So we don't try to separate the essentials from the non-essentials in the Bible. Revealed truth cannot be negotiated away, my friends. We say, Lord, all of your word is true. And all of your word is profitable. Every word in this Bible is from you. I cherish every doctrine you teach in the Bible. I cherish the whole system. Beloved, guard this treasure that has been entrusted to you, and don't think there are some things that don't need to be guarded. I like what John Calvin said, and some of you probably know this already. Someone asked John Calvin, is your God and your Bible so weak that you have to defend it? And Calvin said, no, but I would be less than a dog if I did not bark when my master is under attack. There's another exhortation here. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. The King James actually refers to it as science, as it's falsely called science. It's really worldly and empty chatter and antithetical arguments to the truth. Now, have you ever heard the naive statement Christianity and science agree with each other. You know, I heard Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez when she was asked, are you satisfied with Trump's appointment of Mike Pence to head up the um, coronavirus commission? And she said, no, I, I think we should appoint someone that believes in science. Of course, Pence must not believe in science because... He doesn't believe in evolution. Pence must not believe in science because he doesn't believe in transgenderism. And he doesn't believe in science, obviously, because he doesn't believe in abortion. Well, understand when someone says, don't you believe that Christianity and science agree? You must ask, whose science are you talking about? Because science, beloved, is not one big monolithic thing that all science go scientists go to their petri dishes and everyone up comes up with the same understanding of what life is. I don't agree with Darwin's science, do you? So don't naively say that Christianity agrees with science point blank. Say Christianity agrees with that science that is based on the presupposition that God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day, and that is it. So Paul is saying, Timothy, avoid any falsehood that goes under the title of knowledge. Don't have anything to do with it. It's not really knowledge. It's not really science. It is just worldly and empty chatter and antithetical to the truth. Timothy, don't believe what this fallen world believes about creation, about the human being, about marriage, about sexuality, about God, and about all those other various so-called truths. Don't get sidetracked because throughout the history of the church, there will be all kinds of people who present falsehood as truth and knowledge. So, no sooner do you refute one falsehood than another pops up, and then you refute that, and then another pops up. And Paul said it is essential that all these heresies come so that we are faith that we might faithfully prove them ourselves to be faithful. Of course, it's a headache. You get tired of the heretics after a while. There's nothing new under the sun, as we know from Ecclesiastes. I can go to heresy after heresy today and show you similar things from 2,000 years ago in the early church. There is nothing new. Yet they keep on coming. Of course, usually under new names. And we must keep dealing with them. Why? Because we love the truth and we love our children. In fact, we love the truth so much that we hate every falsehood. I like what R.L. Dabney said. He said, what this world needs is a good hater, as every good lover will be. You show me a man that doesn't do anything to save his wife from a rapist. And I'll show you a man who doesn't love his wife. So if you love the truth, you are going to hate everything that is opposed to it, and you will stand against it, and you will make people understand that you don't side with innovative ideas, the popular ideas of the world, and you are going to stand against them because you want your children to love the truth. Oh, Timothy... Guard what has been entrusted to you. Vo- avoid all these new doctrines, which are just worldly and empty chatter and antithetical to the true Christian faith. People call it knowledge, but it most certainly is not knowledge. In fact, you can't have knowledge if you don't presuppose God's Word. I love what Isaiah says in chapter 8. In context, this is the Messiah talking here. I'll read verses 19 and 20 of chapter 8 of Isaiah. They are pretty straightforward words. And when they say to you, consult the mediums and spiritists who peep and mutter, should not a people consult God? Should they consult the dead or on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to his this word, it is because they have no dawn or no light. He says, all of these great scholars, all of these great writers, all of these atheists, all of these liberals, all of the things they are teaching contrary to the word of God is like birds peeping and muttering. And they say what they say only because they have no light. Oh, oh, they've got PhDs, and they think themselves to be pretty brilliant, and they love to hear themselves talk. But beloved, it doesn't matter if they have more schooling than you do. Anything they say that is not based upon the system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture, it is like the peeping and muttering of birds. It is empty and worldly, just empty chatter. It is falsehood pretending to be knowledge. Now, it is a dangerous thing not to guard this treasure. It is a dangerous thing not to guard and believe and apply the system of revealed truth contained in Holy Scripture because of verse 21. Which some have professed and gone astray from the faith. He said, Timothy, you know as much as I do that some people have been swept off their feet by false doctrine and by this so-called knowledge. And as a result, they have gone astray. They have left the faith. They have apostatized. And the only way you're going to keep yourself strong and not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes along is to establish yourself firmly in the system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture. And what that means is this. Get a Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechism and study them, my friends. Listen to the sermons, listen to sermons on it. Joe Moorecraft has a great series on sermonaudio.com, Uh, And it is about 26 hours on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And he also has a series of 400 sermons on the Westminster Larger Catechism, which can also be found on sermonaudio.com. In fact, we've gone through those, haven't we, Don? This system of doctrine taught in Holy Scriptures is not just for preachers are people prone to theology. This is the Christian's life. It is the basis of the church. It is the way to keep yourself and your children protected. So they learn how to think biblically. And then they can outthink these false teachers and see through their arguments and not be swept off their feet by them. Have you noticed in the small books of Timothy how many people Paul mentions by name that were swept off their feet because they did not guard the treasure? Look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in guard to, these, to their faith. Among these are Hermanius and Alexander, Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, or excommunicated so they will be taught not to blaspheme by not keeping the faith look at first Timothy chapter 6 verse 13 I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate Pontius Pilate who rejected the faith in fact do you remember what he asked Jesus he asked, what is the truth? Look at Second Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, Saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and thus they upset the faith of some. Second Timothy chapter three, verse eight. And just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men opposed the truth, men of deprived minds rejected as regarding the faith. Second Timothy chapter four, verse 14. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposes our teaching. Just in those two little books, Paul brings up several names that throughout the history of the world will be remembered as people who rejected the system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture. Whenever in the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Hanover, our denomination, a man is ordained into his office of minister or elder or deacon, he has to take a vow that says, I believe that the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechism contain that system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture that what is contained in those Westminster standards is for Presbyterian preachers who are faithful to their vow, biblical Christianity in its purest human expression. Unfortunately, today, in many conservative Presbyterian dominations, there are pastors and elders who lie to God when they take that vow. And I know of several. So please constantly pray for this preacher and your elders and your deacons. Pray that we would never swerve from our vows. Pray that we will always be defenders of the Westminster standards as containing the system of doctrine taught in Holy Scripture. And pray that we would have the integrity that if we ever swerve from that system of doctrine or any of the doctrines contained in it, we would either resign from office, or repent of our sins. Now, members do not take such a vow here. The requirement to be a member of RHC is just to make a credible confession of faith in Christ. But a person who joins a Presbyterian church such as RHC should always ask himself or herself, would I be happy in a church that believes these things? You're not asked to make a commitment to the Westminster standards, but will you be happy in a church that believes what the Westminster standards contain is that system of doctrine contained in Holy Scripture? Are you willing to be teachable and regularly study those documents if you are a member of a Presbyterian church? Because if you don't accept the treasure, If you don't accept the revealed truths of Holy Scripture, it will lead you to shipwreck. And it will lead to apostasy from the faith, says Paul himself. So Paul ends the book with a very short benediction. Grace be with you. What is he saying to Timothy? He's saying, it's going to cost you to guard the treasure, Timothy. You may be martyred for guarding guarding that treasure. The world will be against you, Timothy, if you do guard that treasure. So grace be with you, brother. You will certainly need God's grace, but that grace will get you through. That's all you need to be faithful, Timothy. Now, there are a couple of things I want to say in way of application of all of this. We talked about these things earlier in the book of Timothy, but I would like to conclude our study by reminding you of a few of these things. If the Bible contains the system of revealed truth from God, then that demands from us a healthy and holy dogmatic spirit. Now, in our culture, dogmatism or dogmatic is a curse word. It's a dirty word because we live in a world that no longer believes in the moral absolutes of the Bible. Well, you can't be dogmatic on that. The only people who can be dogmatic are those who dogmatically say there are no absolutes. So their entire personal life is self-contradictory. They say the only absolute there is, is that there are no absolutes. And you can't be dogmatic. Well, if the Bible is what it claims to be, we can't be relativist. We know there are absolutes. We know there is a treasure in Scripture we must preserve and keep pure and entire. So it is healthy to be dogmatic about what's in there, and unhealthy to, be, to not be dogmatic and to be apologetic the opposite of being dogmatic is to be apologetic and i personally hate to hear preachers who are apologetic they look wimpish they sound wimpish and they seem to be apologetic for what they believe we cannot be apologetic for anything the bible teaches we cannot apologize for anything in scripture Now, dogmatism in Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary had a proper meaning because there were many Americans then who believed that the system of doctrine in scripture was truly the word of God. So Noah's dictionary said, there is a positive definition and a negative definition of dogmatism. Dogmatism. He said positively, it means to assert with authority. That is, to be dogmatic is to speak authoritatively as if you know what you're talking about or as if what you are talking about is the truth. He said there's also a negative meaning. And that is, it is arrogant and overbearing in asserting an opinion. And we as Christians want to be authoritative in our defense of the gospel, but we don't want to be arrogant, opinionated, and overbearing.
1: Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church two in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner.